0: Ephemeral experiences are important, right? Something can be brief, but meaningful. And that's what it's about to me.
1: As you may contribute a verse, I'm Brenna Jenneret, kidlit author, new Colorado climber. I'm excited that we just moved across the country, so just a little shout out. And co host of this podcast, I'm joined by my co-host Josh Munkin, kidlit author, dad, science communicator, and podcast wizard John Seymour, an author illustrator, family man, and senior informatics dude. That was our guest Kate Ellen Fox on the deeper meaning behind a few beautiful minutes, which extends far beyond this year's eclipse and to the human condition and even picture books themselves. We talk about community, process, the agent journey, and Kate's open letter to Bluey's parents on McSweeney's. Check that one out, it's amazing. And make sure to listen to the end for Kate's contribution to the Dead Manuscript Society. A Few Beautiful Minutes drops today, September 26th, so make sure to get your copy in time for this year's eclipse. Speaking of dead manuscripts, if you have one of your own that you need help revising, or maybe a query you're stuck on, or even help with comps or agent research, Or your pitch could use some love? Check out Justin Colon's editorial services. He offers everything from full manuscript critiques with a Zoom call to assistance with comp titles and brainstorming sessions. And if you can't decide what package is right for you, no worries, all of Justin's services can be purchased a la carte style. So mix and match whatever works best for you. Sign up today at thekidlithive.com. And now here's Kate's verse. I was gonna say so we actually went to our library had a Minecraft escape room a couple Mm. weeks ago which was so cool I've never done an escape room myself and of course my son has never done one but he was like he's like wait what are we doing and so I tried to explain it and he just was like okay like whatever so we went in but like having to find the clues and like put them together he was like oh that was awesome like so into it you know so like I don't know, just more like problem solving and like building on those pathways. It just, it makes so much sense. Uh, I
0: mean, like we were talking about earlier with play-based learning. I mean, that's a form of play for kids, but they're incorporating all the skills that they're working on into their play. Like my younger son is really into Pokemon and he's five. And so for him, like a lot of his school for a long time was just like reading Pokemon cards and being like, okay, I did 20 damage. How many health points do you have now? Like, yeah, that's, Perfect. Like, go for it. Learn how to do math or Totally. Possible. Reading and math. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Can
2: I go? Can I go back in time and have moms like you guys where we learn based on video games? <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, it's I mean my kids, I'm like, you're so spoiled. I know that's such a parent thing to say, but you're spoiled. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. I feel like every generation feels that way about their kids because they're just like, I'm giving you so much more than I had, you know, or I'm like, you have it so easy compared to what I had.
2: Yeah. Or, nah. I mean, my kids... You guys go to public school just like I do. Same, same. <laughs>
0: just go. Daddy's got a day job. <laughs> well, my older son. Hey, was Ray, really when are into you going to the... start? Oh God.
1: Uh, uh, no, I was going to make a dumb joke about when they're going to start contributing to the mortgage. That's Sorry, Kate. You you go. Go ahead. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Whenever my older son gets sassy about being in charge of my like, money, now he's really into Wimpy Kid books, which has also given him the impression that school is like a dog eat dog world, which it kind of is. but like- it's all right you would survive only after a certain point
2: <laughs> right how old are you kids you guys have oh probably my covered gosh. this already mine Good are five and seven okay
0: so really similar okay. to yeah.
2: right in that wimpy kid uh wimpy kid age
0: oh he's obsessed he's read all the books so many times and he like goes and clears out the yeah. library it's, but it's cool you know it makes him happy like there are some so words but that's fine <laughs>
1: yeah
2: did has finn <laughs> gone through a wimpy kid thing he's a little young for that right yeah
1: he's so he's six but no he hasn't he hasn't gotten into those you know what he's really into actually are these they're self-published um straight to kindle but he loves them and there's like a hundred in this series they're called the sammy books it's this tiny bird that's like super naughty and really precocious and just is like very you know talks to the reader and is just like you know really sarcastic and he loves them so he'll read those like every morning and there's like So many, yeah. And they're just, they're on Kindle so he can like pick whichever one. He's like, mama, can you set me up with my book? He's like, I need your face because that's how we unlock the iPad. He's like, give me your face. (laughs) So (laughs) anyways, no, not into Wimpy Kid.
2: No yeah my my oldest who's nine now the first year of the pandemic went through a wimpy kid phase and we were still reading together at bedtime and uh my forever regret will be we read through all 13 books that had been published at the time chapters at a time before bedtime took us the entire first year of the pandemic and then i went Daddy needs a break from Wimpy Kid. Like, I can't do Greg Hefley anymore. And that's what tipped her over into reading on her own um, for bed. So she didn't want me to read to her anymore. Like, after I'd stopped, I offered to go back to Greg Hefley and Wimpy Kid, but, you know. <laughs> can't
1: go back. Uh, we right. grow. Yeah. We grow. Yeah. Oh. Um so, okay well yeah. oh I was going to say I was yeah, going to say for the listening <laughs> yeah for the listening audience we are here with Kate Ellen Fox I'm so excited to talk about a few beautiful minutes because I just read it this morning again as a refresher and it's gosh it's beautiful it's just so the illustrations too really I mean as I was reading it the like the verse writing came through because I'm my my whip is a novel in verse and I just sort of like recognized that right away and was like wow this is like really well done and for a picture book and then the illustrations just I mean they make it so vibrant
0: well thank you for having me um yes Kawa Lee did an amazing job on the illustrations it was so much more than I could have imagined but I knew that it had to be like something gorgeous, but illustrators are magicians, in my opinion. So they just make magic, and it's it's magic to me when I look at that book. So I'm so glad you liked it.
2: I was, yeah, I was reading it this morning um, while my kids were getting ready, and they were popping over and just checking checking me out (laughs) while I was reading it. And and my youngest went, why why cats? Why, why cats and dogs? And, like, I can't imagine that was orchestrated on your part. But just, like, the opening yeah. image is so tone perfect of, like, two cats and a dog just, like, staring up at the title of the book.
0: Yeah. It's too, I would
2: super funny. I would
0: love to hear about her process. I, I know that she, as a child, saw an eclipse. And I wonder if the cats have something to do with her memory of it. Or if she just likes cats. I know some illustrators just love to draw certain things. But whatever it is, it's perfect. I love following those cats. And there is... um. Later in the book, when the shadows of the eclipse are happening and the cats are like pawing at them, I I think it's perfect and so true to form, true to life. Like, yes, your cat would probably do that. So,
1: <laughs> it was one of one of my favorite illustrations was, yeah, that one with the bush and it's showing at the on the ground like the little um, like crescent mm-hmm. moons of you know before the eclipse, like the like the shadows that they make, and that was like. That was perfect, because the last eclipse that I saw was when we were still living in Mm -hmm. Portland, and Finn was little. He was, like, four months or something, but we went right outside our apartment. There was this park, and there were a bunch of people gathering, Mm -hmm. and so these illustrations were, like, spot on with what I remember about that. Like, we saw those shadows, and then it was a bunch of people gathering in a park who didn't know each other, but then, like, you know, we're chit-chatting about it going forward. It was just, yeah, it was very... um, authentically done. Well, I'm glad
0: to hear that. I saw the 2017 eclipse, and so I had like, my memories of yes. the 2017 eclipse. But when I I worked on this book more than any manuscript I've ever worked on. This is definitely the hardest manuscript I've ever written. Um, and so I went through a lot of layers of revision. And at one point, I was just asking people on Twitter, like, what do you remember about the 2017 eclipse? Like, what was important to you about it? And the one thing I kept hearing over was the sense of community with strangers that um you know they had all experienced this kind of mind-blowing thing together and there was a certain camaraderie in that and so that's something I very much wanted to come through in the book because it was certainly um also relevant to my experience but it sounds like so many people's experience of eclipse that it it bonds people in a way I, I think you know People have a lot of disparate experiences at this point in history. You know, we read different things on the Internet. We look at different videos. We consume different culture. And so there aren't as many events where everyone is having the same experience. And I think that's something really special about an eclipse.
2: It's something that we all feel is um, particularly magical, yeah. So, is the is the 2017 eclipse where where the germ of this came from? It I mean, I did. know you said um, I hadn't started of, writing picture yeah, books Twitter. at that time.
0: My oldest son was 18 months old, and my husband and I lived in Georgia at that time. We lived in Atlanta, and my husband is a total space geek. He, he's a space nerd, so this book is also dedicated to him for a few reasons, but that's one of them because he's the space geek. And so we were driving up to, for listeners who may not be eclipse nerds, so. Um, eclipses happen in a, what's called a path of a totality. So that's like a hundred mile wide strip that goes across say a continent. And if you're in the path of the totality, you get to see the really cool stuff in the eclipse, like the darkness and all the really neat stuff you'll read about in the book. If you're outside that path, you see some of it, but not the really cool stuff. So to get into the path of the totality, my husband and our toddler and I drove up a few hours to the North Carolina border and, um, because we're cool, we're listening to a lot of NPR podcasts about um, <laughs> about eclipses. Like my space nerd husband had made a eclipse playlist of podcasts, so that's what we were listening to. And we were listening to wow. something on Eclipse Chasers, and I just thought it was so interesting that like, so the totality in an eclipse it varies how long it is, but it's a few minutes, hence you know a few beautiful minutes, the title. But in this one, say the upcoming one in 2024, you're going to see between like two and a half minutes to four minutes as your totality time. Um, I was like listening to these people who like plan for years and they like cross oceans and then they're like driving in traffic for, I was like, man, we're doing all of this for like a few minutes. And I thought that was so interesting. Um, And so I had that idea in my head, but I, like I said, I, I hadn't started writing picture books yet. So, A few years later, I wrote Pando, my first book, and that sold, Um, and I hadn't written many other picture books at the time, and I started thinking about, like, well, what else could I write about? And I was like, oh, there's another eclipse coming. I wonder if I could do a picture book about an eclipse, Um, because I knew there was one coming in 2024. And I was like, well, there's so many years between now and then, I have loads of time, which I I, I got it in, like, kind (laughs) of... It was a little closer for comfort, um, but um, yeah. Like I said, it turned out to be a very hard manuscript, um, but that's where the idea came from at, at first. I um, I want to circle back
1: to the community mm-hmm. part that you added that you had in there because the illustrations show it so well, like that sort of mm-hmm. arc of like you know, okay. gathering and then coming together. And then at the end, you know, people are like hugging and high-fiving and they're like, you know, standing a little bit closer. And I just, that is such a great, like, it was such a, a good, like, just a really significant arc, I mm-hmm. guess, besides, you know, the the main storyline wow. of the eclipse. Because as I was reading it, I was like, okay, all right, I can see where this is going. But I'm like, what, you know, like, what's the climax going to be? Obviously, you know, the full eclipse. Mm-hmm. But that's that came earlier than I thought it was going to, and I was like, okay, well, where where are we gonna go? Like, how does it, you know, how does she, how is she gonna wrap it up? Like, how is this gonna end? And it was a perfect, it was like the perfect button for it to end with that community, like stanza. That was that was kind of perfect to put that in there to sort of like wrap it all up. Was that something that you struggled with, like trying to figure out like where it was gonna so go? I
0: think nonfiction structures are always difficult. Or Maybe for me. Maybe there are people who are like, nonfiction structures are the easiest thing (laughs) on the earth. But um, I think it's a little... For me, I always have to... Well, maybe I'll prove myself. There's one book that I didn't have to do this with, but the rest of them I have to do this. Um, Where I rewrite it from scratch, a blank page, like three to four times before I find a structure that I think works at all. And with an eclipse, the natural form of an eclipse is you have half the time... You know, the moon's moving in front of the sun and it's getting darker. And then you have the totality, which is really the climax and storytelling version of an eclipse. But then you have the whole other half of the eclipse that comes after the totality. And so really thinking about the structure of the book, like does the structure of the book mirror the eclipse or does the structure of the book mirror something else? And with me, I always, like I write about science, but I would say I'm more interested in people and emotion. And so most of my books um, most of my manuscripts have, I always try to find an emotional layer. So what does this emotional layer speak to through the science? And so that's always top of mind for me when I'm writing because I I want the science hook, but more I'm interested in how science makes us feel. I'm interested in how science makes us feel like a tiny little dot in the universe. And that feeling of awe that you don't get outside of certain natural experiences, at least for me. And so that's what I'm trying to channel is something about the human experience in nature rather than just something purely scientific. And so for this book, it ended up being something about community and about, well, this book is about a lot of things to me, um, many of which are not in the book itself, but um, but that community element is definitely <laughs> there. And that's something that's also very big in my third book, which is coming out in 2024, about the winter solstice, but it's also very much about community and experiencing something together.
2: I'm curious about what, what else the book is about that's not in the book.
0: Um, so, A Few Beautiful Minutes is it's short um, about a totality, mm. but to me it's really about that ephemeral experiences are important. Right? Something can be brief but meaningful, and that's what it's about to me. Um, and as a person who doesn't believe in an afterlife, to me, I put the human lifespan in something that's a few beautiful minutes. You know, cosmically speaking, it's extremely short um, but very meaningful, or it can be. And so that's what that book's about to me. But, you know, obviously it's not a book about death, but I think that's where my heart goes in this book is that short experiences matter and that people matter, even though we're not here very long, you know?
2: Was that, was that always a Mm -hmm. conscious decision or did you layer that in?
0: That came later when I was finding, I went through a lot of revisions, like I said, but, um, when I decided that the refrain was going to be a few beautiful minutes, and I was thinking about, well, what does that even mean, and why is that important? I don't know, and to me, it was just a feeling. I was like, this is what this feels like to me, and that it is it, never something I put, like, explicitly in the book, obviously, but just that that was my own private meaning to what that meant, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I really love that, because there's, there's so much... Yeah. So I'm mentally unpacking that notion. And this is something that I think about um, on occasion too. It's like what, sometimes sometimes there's an inclination to say, you know, this, this isn't going to happen for very long. Why should we bother? Why should we invest ourselves in this? Um, having, having a moment to celebrate that fleeting thing that you get to cherish uh, and then that sort of lives with you is, is, is a, it's a really nice layer. I wonder, did you did you pitch that, or was that part of the sales? No,
0: um, no, pitch? no. <laughs> that I think just
2: it's just Kate's thing. Just my thing. I think you <laughs> can Kate, also say like picture layer. books or
0: something. I think of as a few beautiful minutes. It takes like two years after you sell the book, and however many years before mm-hmm. that, and then someone's going to read it for five minutes. It's it's ephemeral. It it only exists in that moment a person is reading the book to a child. And but I I believe children's books matter, you know, and so. For me, I, I feel like anything that I have to explain to someone like is not a selling point. Um, you know, And the marketing around this was much more <laughs> around eclipses. Um, but I, I hope um, when people read it, they get some sort of emotional experience. And their emotional experience of the book can be completely different than mine. And what they take from the yeah. book hopefully is something that's meaningful to them. Um, but I hope when people read it, they have some sort of reaction to it. That it's not just... A science lesson about an eclipse that there is something that speaks to their soul because eclipses do and so the book should yeah
1: it's that so can we let's back up just a little bit i want to talk about the layers of the mm-hmm. revision that you did like what did so did you start with you know the like the process of an eclipse or like you know how it goes from one Mm -hmm. to the other or like how did you start and then what layers did you add in after
0: so for me like I said I always try to do science and an emotional layer and I feel like when you go on sub or when I go on sub because this is not a widespread problem but when I go on sub um, um there will be certain editors and imprints that want more science and there will be certain editors and imprints that want more emotion and not one isn't right or wrong. It's just a, an authorial choice. And I think that also happens um, in every layer for a book I'm writing. When I go out to critique partners or whoever is reading it is going to have a different feel on where that balance should lie. Um, and so I do a lot of, especially with eclipses. Eclipses are kind of science heavy. And they're also emotion heavy. And you have... I think this book clocked in right around 500 words, like maybe 550. It's one of my longer books. Usually I'm around 400. Um, But, you know, it's a lot to pack in there. And so I don't know exactly where I started. Um, I originally did the title as two beautiful minutes, and then one of the major things was revising it to be, like, not specific to any one eclipse, so making it broader, um, I originally wrote it as looking back to the 2017 eclipse and ahead to 2024 and then, again, trying to make it for any eclipse. Um, uh, at one point, I played with doing something around eclipse chasers. I don't even remember. I know. So <laughs> the blur. book eventually sold um, to Little Brown Young Readers, and I did a revision for them. It was an R&R Um And so, and that was a really tough R&R and I really didn't know if I was gonna, I was gonna make it. They wanted a lot more lyrical, which I like, like I like writing poetry, um, but they wanted like high lyricism and I was just like, there's so much science in here. How do you know like what's happening in an eclipse if it's all written in poetry? And so that was a really hard, um, a hard um, thing to do because it was a little more sciencey to start with. And I remember I was like struggling with this, um, this revision and I kept sending things to my agent, the wonderful and patient Leslie Zampatty. And she kept being like, she's very nice, but she's also not going to like, not let me do it right. So she was kept being like, it's close. <laughs> That's a good effort. <laughs> she doesn't sound like that. Um, but I was like, I know, Leslie. I know. I know it's not right. I know, but I, I don't know what to do. So eventually she's like, why don't we just talk on the phone? So I, like, called her. Um, and she was like, first of all, I couldn't figure out the title. And she was like, why don't you just call it a few beautiful minutes? So I was like, that's a great idea, Leslie, writing that down. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then um, I forget what she said. But... Um, it was something that clicked. I, I, I took the call at a coffee shop because my kids are always at my house and it's loud. And so I took this call at a coffee shop and I was driving home after I talked and with her and then I was like, I know the emotional beat, what I can put in this. And it's at the climax, going back to your earlier question about structure, I made the totality isn't the climax emotionally. The, the climax is... When it turns and it says, um, among those millions is one tiny, precious you. And it turns to the reader and the kid is like there and it says like under a velvet pan- panorama, etc." cetera. Um, and so, but somehow driving home from talking to Leslie, I was like, that's, that's the climax. I got it. And I forget what she said, but I feel like I'm very fortunate to have an agent who totally gets the balance like my voice and like where I should be between like science and emotion because it's tricky to feel out with each individual manuscript so thanks Leslie
1: right and putting putting that in there yeah because also it's that's its whole like it's its own spread and the kid is like yeah. You're up close and like personal. I re- yeah. As I was as I was reading it, and that popped up.
0: I was like, oh, oh, and I'm like, that's where it was going. That's so smart. And if you look at the illustration, and I didn't put this in there, it was all Koa's um, idea. But if you look in the eyes of the child on that spread, you see a reflection of the corona of the eclipse. Oh snap! I didn't look. Yeah. I didn't look that close. I'm looking. I'm gonna pull it up right now. That's so mm-hmm. good. Yeah, that's
1: very. So, cool. Oh here's yeah, a, very cool.
2: Here's what surprises me, and maybe this is my—I always do this, but it's very telling of of the mindset that I bring to my writing. But um, I I write, I do corporate writing mm-hmm. for my day job, as I've talked about at at great length, and and so I think about you know KPIs and metrics and reaching your audience and marketability and mm-hmm. you know all, all that is something that i a lens that i put on the way that i do the vast majority of the writing that i do in my life mm-hmm. um and so i guess i guess what i'm interested in is the little brown r&r take the editorial pass that they take mm-hmm. my preconceived notion might have been hmm let's uh, we like this book but let's make sure that it's um it's teachable and saleable to teachers and libraries and something that's maybe sort of like transportable for beyond uh, eclipses to like astronomy units and and, in you know Mm -hmm. early grade school grades and things like that but it i I guess i was surprised to hear that it was like oh make it more poetic like let's not let's not be so crass about how it's going to sell let's make it a prettier a prettier and more touching book
0: well i mean i think you know the people who work in publishing deeply care about the art i think you're also touching on a difference between kinds of publishers my my debut my debut um pando was with capstone and capstone's a great publisher but they're they are very focused in the school and library market like you're talking about things that speak to schools and libraries and so they kind of walk the trade school and library line but that's you know where a lot of their business is and that's a very poetic book so i'm not capstone too was also very interested in making it poetic but i'm just i guess thinking about it there are certain publishers that are more going to sell to school and library and certain publishers with the trade publishers and when a trade publisher takes on a nonfiction science book they they want it to appeal to schools and libraries which I think the book can still teach about an eclipse, and it does, but they're more interested in something that's an artistic experience, that's going to sit in bookstores, that's going to speak to consumers who are looking for an artistic experience for their children. Um, So, I mean, I think it can be a little different. Like, I think about, again, as someone who writes science... I have certain books where I'm like, this is a school and library manuscript, because that's really where its strength is, is that it's very educational. And there's, if I write something, it's always going to be a little lyrical, because that's how I write. But like, there are certain manuscripts that I think, you know, this isn't really a trade book. And then there are other manuscripts where it is more of a trade book, and it is less focused on school and library and more interested in the emotional or universal experience So I guess there are different publishers who will look for different things. Um, But I also think publisher editors, they also just love pretty books and they want to make beautiful books. And that's true no matter what publisher you're at. And I've been fortunate to work with Capstone and I've been fortunate to work with Little Brown and I'm working with Beaming Books on my third book. So it's interesting to see how different publishers approach Uh, science because I think they're all looking for something a little different um but if anyone's buying my book they probably want it they probably are looking for something poetic because that's just my voice they they know what they're gonna
2: get yeah right well I think (laughs) we haven't talked about it much but I I I can assume we can all assume collectively that your solstice book with beaming is going to be very feely I have a feeling
0: (laughs) (laughs) very feely um yeah there's a it's it's got a little bit of science but it's more so beaming and they're i mean you can think about different publishers and what their mission is and beaming's mission is helping children thrive and my wonderful editor the editor there naomi kruger she actually tweeted this is how this book came out about was through a tweet um that she was looking for something around the solstice but she's always very interested in books on human connection and so the approach i took to the winter solstice is around a beach bonfire i live in san diego county and so I, I, I would say it's informational fiction rather than nonfiction, but it basically shows people at a Southern California beach having a bonfire and enjoying the solstice together, and that sense of community and um, hope, you know, um, that you know, with the fire and the darkness and all of that. And it's interesting because. <laughs> When Naomi tweeted about that, I was like, shoot, I should have a solstice book. I've always wanted a solstice book, but I don't have one. And then I went to the beach with my kids, (laughs) and I was like, this is the book. I just know it. And um, I just that's the only one that came to me easily, the one book that I didn't have to rewrite a million times with that third one. (laughs) Um, But uh, anyway, yes, it's heavy on the feelings. But yes, so every publisher has a different mission, has a different – Uh, customer base that they're looking at. And if you write science, understanding what the different publisher is looking for can be a really important distinction in how you write it or what manuscript you send to what publisher.
1: It's time for this week's book reviews. Josh's review this week is for the absolutely ridiculous Follow That Frog, written by Philip C. Steed and illustrated by Matthew Cordell. This is a great example of a picture book aimed at older kids, which pushes advanced language and a relatively complex layered story, at least for a picture book, while remaining preposterous and hilarious in its premise. No spoilers here, but make sure to check it out if only for the buildup toward the for, if only for the buildup toward the entertaining payoff on the final page. That was a tongue twister, sorry guys. What a journey. And I can attest to this personally, we love this book in our house. From John John's review this week is a hidden gem by Linda Liu, an uplifting story that conveys the message of self-confidence and self-acceptance in a fun and simple way that really rocks. A Little Pebble embarked a journey to find his own uniqueness in a world of dazzling gemstones and other magnificent rocks. With whimsical rhymes and delightful mixed-media illustrations, readers will be sure to enjoy the simple yet heartwarming realization that true beauty is not about comparing ourselves to other diamonds and gems, but by seeing what's already brilliant and unique about ourselves. And my review for this week is Banana, written and illustrated by Zoe Abbott. This book is quirky and odd in all the best ways, while brilliantly making the banana in the room a metaphor for a much bigger and more meaningful message. This simple yet important book is a must-have. And don't forget to get your own reviews or library requests in. It's the number one way to help an author's sales. Help support the podcast and the kidly community with a shout out of your own or check out first show merch de- designed by the Maddie Frost or even better leave us a review it really helps other people find us and it makes us feel good find all our links on threads or blue sky or check out Brennagenerat.com where you can sign up for our newsletter and even get the podcast delivered right to your inbox and now back to our show. I know you write really lyrically, and I, I might be—I might be wrong, but I think I remember you saying you were working on a novel in verse. Is that right?
0: I was. Uh, that novel in verse is dead. <laughs> we are sad to say. <laughs>
1: um, it had many oh, redeeming qualities,
0: but not enough of was them. Because yeah.
1: <laughs> I was gonna say, I mean, I can see how how you know you would like that would be like sort of a. A linear move yeah so, I, I mean you know, I just... thought
0: so <laughs> so for me uh, <laughs> I would say I struggle with plot a lot um that rhymes okay so for me my strengths <laughs> are not necessarily in novel writing and I would say even I read novels but I would say in my heart of hearts what I'm interested in reading is poetry memoir nonfiction, um and so mm. I think I'm accepting at this point that even like I'm just maybe not a novelist. Um, maybe I'll discover that at some point in my life that I am, or I'll stumble across the right idea or plot. But I would say there are things about it that don't speak to my strengths. Hmm.
2: The the, yeah, the right fair. editor has to put out a call that speaks to right,
0: you, and I'll I be guess. like, I gotcha. <laughs> yeah. With
2: with your solstice book, was there any uh, was there any ambiguity or or about where it was going to go? Like, did you and Leslie talk about, hey, I want to I wanna write to this request. Let's go yeah. after this.
0: Yeah, Leslie is, like, extremely collaborative, and she and I have a great working relationship. Um, so I had told her, I said, hey, you know, Naomi Kruger tweeted this. I think I have something that would work for it. Um, and um, she was very much on board and loved it from the start. And I love that she, you know, I— I, that one, I didn't take through many rounds of critique partners because I just felt so strong on the vision. But there were certain critique partners who were like, you're going to do a beach book for, like, a winter solstice? Like, isn't that a little odd? Which it is. But I will um, – I felt really strongly about it. Um, so um, – and Leslie from the start was just like, no, this is, this is it. So um, with that, I actually had an option clause on my Little Brown contract. So we sent it to um, Little Brown because of my option clause, and they passed, um, which is totally fine. And then we sent it to Naomi, and fortunately she loved it, um, and she bought it. So that was cool. What's
2: that, what does that mean? Can you break that apart, the option clause? Okay, so an so option clause – So this was clause, on the heels of – or Or yeah. with your contract with um, – yeah. Yeah, so an it, option
0: knows. clause in your contract gives your publisher um, first right of refusal on your next work, and that can be um, – very limited in scope. And in fact my my option clause in my uh little brown contract was pretty limited in scoped. It was about my it was my next book on an astronomical event. And then I went, Oh, a solstice is an astronomical event. <laughs> Come to think of it. Like oh well, shit. But in any case I, it's also, you know, I think it's polite and the right thing to do um to honor the working relationships you have. And so that was totally wonderful to let them see it um, beforehand. But yes, an option clause does not exist in every contract. And if um, any of your listeners, you know, get a contract, that's something to look out for. And your agent can also either get it struck if you want more flexibility in your submissions. And also, option clauses, depending on how they're worded, can eat up a lot of time. So a good agent will also look at putting time parameters on how quickly your publisher would have to review and answer on the next book and also try to limit it to a certain area. That way if you have some other book that you know like that publisher is not going to be interested in, you can you don't have to spend however many months um, waiting on it. So it's just something to be aware of and something agents can really help with in the whole contract negotiation process.
2: Yeah. 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 I mean, there's, there's an interpretation of that as being a a foot in the door or a leg up. I almost said a leg in the door (laughs) 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 to like continuing the relationship with a certain publisher, which, you know, in other conversations, we've, we've talked about that being an advantage, having that relationship, that negotiation, but if it's limiting and no guarantee then, you know,
0: I think people will have, you have you different opinions yeah. on option clauses. There certainly can be a sense that this is a sign that the publisher wants to keep working with you, and that's great. Um, mm-hmm. It can also, I know some people who have horror stories about a really broad and open option clause where their next book got held up for a year waiting to hear back from an editor at their current publisher to have them pass. And so then you've just lost a year, right? So it really just depends. I think this is one of the areas where having a good agent can be really helpful in either, you know, figuring out what you want for your career, right? And having the contract terms that serve you. And that can be different for different authors.
1: I heard um, Kaylee Pugh talk about this just um, recently in the last webinar that she did about her agent, Emily Forney who, um, there was an option clause in her, for her uh, debut picture book, The Monster Above the Bed, mm-hmm. um, and Emily went in the other direction instead of, you know, trying to, well, I think she tried to get it out, but then, you know, they wouldn't budge or whatever, but she took it in the other direction and made it so specific that there was, like, no way it was ever going to infringe, you know, on anything that Kaylee would write in the right. future, and I was like, oh, well, that's really smart, too, yeah. so yeah it just like you said, it depends on like what you want, you know, what your agent is willing to do or how they can.
0: right. And just it. making the best decisions yeah. you can at the time. I feel like publishing is also yeah. an unpredictable and frustrating <laughs> industry in general, but you make the best decisions you can <laughs> and you move forward and having a good agent in your career totally. really helps with all of that. Um, but you have to go with what opportunities are presented and make the best decisions you can.
1: Um, so also I saw Leslie on a panel just recently, like within the last couple of weeks, and she actually mentioned just briefly, she mentioned, you know, you're her client and that originally you had not signed with her. You true. signed with somebody yeah, else and then you
0: circled back around. Yeah. yeah. Would you mind
1: telling that story? Cause <laughs> I thought that was so interesting. I was like, wow. Okay.
0: <laughs> okay. So I mentioned a little earlier in our conversation that when I had written Pando, I hadn't written many other books. So, a kind of like short history of Kate. So I was working at the Centers <laughs> for Disease Control in Atlanta until the middle of 2018. And then my second son was born and I quit for various life reasons. And, um, but I'm very type A, as I also mentioned. And so like, you know, just enjoying time with my children didn't seem like what I was going to do so I decided that I was going to (laughs) like pick some other big challenge in my life so mid-2018 I'm like well I've always wanted to be a writer this is my chance I'm going to be a writer but I had decided I was going to write middle grade for whatever reason I was like well too many people try to write picture books this seems like too many people are doing it I'm going to pick something where fewer people are doing it like why is everyone trying to do picture books that's just silly So um, I tried to write a middle grade novel. I did write a middle grade novel, we'll say. It was a novel of sorts, (laughs) but I wrote it. Um, And then at the end of 2018, going into 2019, I was in this critique group, um, and everybody was writing picture books. And I was like, all right, you know what? 2019 will be my year of picture books. I'll try it. It can't hurt. So at the end of 2019, at the end of 2018, early 2019, I wrote like a bunch, like maybe five to seven picture books and they were all bad. And then (laughs) I was getting closer though. And then I thought of Pando and it happened fast. I wrote Pando in March-ish, February, March, 2019. I signed with my first agent in April, 2019 and it sold that fall. So really, I had wow. one picture book. Kate, I had wow. one decent picture book. <laughs> yeah. And that was it. So, I but I had sent it out to the world cuz I was so excited and I knew this was going to sell and it was like great. And um so I ended up getting two offers, one from Leslie, who was very new to agenting at the time, and one to Mary Cummings, who is a book by book agent. Um and so yeah. Because I had one book that was decent, I was kind of like, I was really torn about what to do and I wasn't sure. And I really liked Leslie and she seemed great, but I was also like, well, I don't know what I want to do. I have one good picture book. I still want to write middle grade. Like, I don't even know if I want to write picture books long-term. And so I was like, well, Mary's a book by book agent. What I'll do is I will go on sub with Pando and I'll take that time. And I'll work on some stuff. And that's actually when I wrote A Few Beautiful Minutes, the first version, and a few other things that were pretty good. Um, uh, but so after Pando sold, I had some books, you know, and I also was like, okay, I am gonna, like, picture books are my thing, apparently. I wanted to be middle grade. It's not middle grade. <laughs> Begrudgingly. <laughs>
1: um, so it's a picture right. books. I'm really good at this. At science
0: <laughs> book, picture books is my thing. I didn't know that. That's a discovery to me. But the point being, after Pando sold, I kind of knew where I was going. And I remembered Leslie. And I was like, Leslie seemed great. She was really into this. Like, uh, And so when I was, my contract with Mary ended up, you know amicably because the book had sold we had not signed on for anything else um and so then i went back out and this would have been um march 2020 (laughs) and we signed at that time and so she was very gracious and um understanding which she has continued to be we've now been working together for three and a half years and she's continually great but it was very kind of her to give me another shot and i kind of explained what i just explained to you that i just I didn't know what was up or where I was going in my career. And that seemed like like, the right option for me at the time. But when I came back around, C- I kind of knew what I would wanted mm. more.
2: Kudos to Leslie for not just like getting on the call with you and going, well, 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 look who's calling <laughs> <while I'm down." laughs>
0: back. She probably did. It just like froze. And I was like, hi, Leslie. <laughs> so good to see you. <laughs> well, did she? It's-
1: do- oh, go ahead.
2: Well, I was just, just just quick follow up on the on the Leslie thing is like when she had offered originally was that after asking for more work or had she only yeah she seen had seen Pando? my other work
0: which in retrospect wow embarrassing um, but Very I think nice. she loved Pando so much <laughs> which she's always loved that book and I appreciate that um, I think she saw something in me and it's interesting because she and I also have extremely similar taste in just like books. And anytime I have a manuscript, I trust her read on like, whether it works, where it should be, does it fit my voice? And like the book, the books I like that I write. So I actually had the time I signed with Leslie, I actually had another offer too. Um, But I I was pretty sure I was going to sign with Leslie, but I talked to the other agent and the other agent wanted to go out with a different book. Um, which, in retrospect, had a very marketable hook, but Leslie wanted to go out with A Few Beautiful Minutes, which is the book I wanted to go out with. And so, I don't know. I think, like, Leslie, maybe she sensed that we were a really good fit and that she really loved my work, even though she had seen a lot of bad stuff. And that's one of the great things about working with Leslie is that, like, I send her bad stuff, you know, because I'm a writer and not everything I'm excited about actually, like, holds up. Um, but mm-hmm. she's not like going to hold that against me. I think she recognizes it as part of the artistic process. Um, so anyway, she's great.
2: It's not it's not wasting her time necessarily to send her stuff. No, she, a bit she's more so raw. sweet. She's like, it's, it's like can right. can we cook this? Yeah. yeah.
0: And I've grown enough as a writer over the past few years that there's a lot less of that. Um and most things mm-hmm. I send her she doesn't feel the need to like edit anymore just because we're so In sync and all of that but like she definitely put in the time and work um to help me develop as a writer and I don't think she would say that was wasted time I think she sees it as part of her job um which is so kind and I don't know she you know there are a lot of picture book agents don't make a lot off of picture books and I recognize that and I know sometimes I feel bad asking for her time because I'm like you know I know you aren't making a lot off of me because this is like picture books but you know I think a great agent, you know, doesn't think of it necessarily in those exact terms. And she's always been super supportive of, um, she even read that terrible novel at first. (laughs) And she was so sweet about it. But, um, yeah. So it's, I, I feel grateful to have someone I know is always in my corner and very supportive.
1: Um, I just want to back up a little because back to the panel that I saw Leslie talking on, it's worth it to just point out the conversation was about um you know how agents are like a good agent you know wants to sort of cheerlead and rep their clients to the best that they can and several of these uh, there was you know other agents on the panel and several of them including leslie said um you know i I I if I'm not going to be the right fit, I don't want to take that on even if I love this book or I love the, you know, the client or whatever. If they are have a better fit with another agent, like I want that for mm-hmm. them because ultimately, you know, it's not, it's not going to end well, or it's not going to go well. So, you know, to that end, Leslie brought up that story, because she was like, you know, it, it worked out in the end, like, you know, she came back around, and it was the right fit then. But you know, when you had found Mary, it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't the right time. So it was, you know, it's worth it to point that out for people listening and, you know, still looking for um, representation, like it, it all will happen, you know, when it's supposed to happen. And like, agents are out there looking for sort of the best, pairing for you as well like if they don't think they can champion this book or you as a person mm-hmm. like you know they don't want to take that on so it's yeah.
2: thank, thank you for speaking directly to me Brenna,
1: <laughs> and what I need for my career <laughs> <laughs> it's it's my own self pep talk also because I mean query trenches are rough. It's so hard. I actually just got a pass from mm-hmm. Leslie, so she's very kind right. and she's very good at her job. But yeah, I got a pass from her, and it you know it's not it's not the best fit. So that's that's okay. Also, but I have she has, to remember that you she know <laughs>
0: also keeps her list really small, and she does a lot of client work. And you know, as a client, I appreciate that. But I know, like, there are totally. I feel for agents in a lot of ways, but I'm sure there are so many great people that they're just like, you know, I, I, I can't take this on because they're always doing a million things and. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah.
1: Um, can we? Oh, sorry, Josh, do you have another?
2: Nope, go ahead, go, go right ahead. So
1: I wanted, okay, I wanted to take a hard left because I just. <laughs> I saw your piece uh, that you wrote, um, an open letter to Bluey in McSweeney's, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. and I loved it so much. I knew it was either going to we... be Bluey
2: or Seinfeld. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Can we chat about that sure. piece? Because I've submitted several pieces to McSweeney's. I've never been accepted. My critique partner, Emily Holy, has been I accepted sh- I'm very times, excited which is amazing.
0: Her. She's had some good ones recently. Right yes. There
1: yes yes she has but your bluey one stood out to me and I just I loved it so much
0: I've I've always loved McSweeney's that was one of the ones that I've always wanted to write for and I submitted a few a few years ago and got all rejections and then I I got two last year the last one I submitted to them they also passed on which I was like kind of sad about it was like a parody of um sounds of silence only based around trying to put your kids to bed and I thought it was hilarious awesome. um, but <laughs> awesome. they did on that. you're lost McSweeney's now I love McSweeney's um so the Bluey one that's right the Bluey one yeah right so I love Bluey um <laughs> as I was telling Brenna before Josh got on I'm working on a nonfiction book around play I think Bluey is like the greatest thing to hit children's telephone televisions in sesame street but my goodness Agree. they make me tired sometimes and so i wrote this open letter to bluey's parents like stop being so good at parenting like i don't want to have to dance in the tampon aisle like stop making want totally. a thing every time my kids find a feather <laughs> no. um actual kate is very grateful that bluey exists it's a great show but yeah i was channeling some parental frustration at like the constant playing with your kid thing because I'm with my kids it was so good and sometimes I'm tired yes so
1: oh my gosh I felt I just felt like so seen as a parent because I'm like yes I love this show but I'm like how are you so patient how are you so creative how are you so understanding you know like all the time and like their frustration always comes off as like hilarious banter (sighs) and like they're not they never yell at the kids and you're you're
0: yeah. Yes!
1: I mean, your open letter was just so perfect. Thank you. I, I just yeah, loved it, it so much.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it, it kind of made the rounds. I was excited. It's interesting because, you know, I spend my whole life writing picture books and then I, like, dash off, like, three paragraphs about Louis' parents. And that's probably, far and away, the most read thing I've ever written. But that's okay. I mean, that's cool, too. I love my <laughs> <laughs> so. Right, I mean, you're I like, it. I don't mind. It's totally yeah, fine. Totally yeah. fine. <laughs> but, I saw...
2: I was just going to say, I saw um, Bluey's Play Day and uh, the stage like mm -hmm. production of Bluey. I got some tickets through work for that. And the best thing about that was the fact that there was a a great deal more real feeling frustration Mm -hmm. in how that production was put together. Bluey and Bingo hid Bandit's phone um, to great comedic effect and adventure, but he was also very exasperated. And it, it was just like a more... It was a more realistic oh, take that's good to know. how they might interact.
1: <laughs> I've heard it's been making the rounds. I got to check it out because I know it's been in Madison. So I should see if we can, if we can get in there to see it. Um, I was going to ask though, Kate, so can you just, because I've, I've subbed to McSweeney's several times and then I just, you know, I was like, okay, well, I don't have anything else, you know, in me. I'm just gonna, whatever, like you know take a break so how many things did you submit before I don't know before you um, got accepted I think there it was all in the
0: hazy um I don't know probably like three or something yeah um but okay. for me with like McSweeney's pieces are a little bit like picture books in that they're very concept driven like if the concept like mm. the, the concept has to come through in the headline or people aren't going to click on it so it either like I didn't I wasn't really thinking about trying again until I forget what my first one that they published was oh Oregon Trail so I, I did Oregon Trail as rewritten for, like, Instagram moms. Um, so they they know. took that one. But I, like, just thought of that. I was, like, in the bath one night. And I had been, like, I had been, like, packing up my car to, like, take my kids to soccer. And I was, like, this is, like, an Old West situation. Like, I had provisions for, like, three weeks to go to soccer. And so it was, like, this idea of, like, you know, your minivan's your cover wagon. And then it kind of took off from there and, like, had its own weird life um and you know i think also because i I had written picture books i kind of understood how to build the article a little bit better like there was like a kind of arc in it and like all like humor pieces tend to like they get like more and more not all but there's like a pretty common structure of like their human pieces like get more and more absurd until there's basically a climax in the second to last sentence and then the last sentence is like a down you know a downbeat Um, And so I, like, kind of at that point in my life, I was like, oh, well, I have this kind of funny, like, concept, and then, like, I kind of understand how to put it together, and so I was like, well, can't hurt, I'll I'll send it off, so I I did that one, and then, you know, high off of success, I, like, I was like, Bluey's parents, I have a rant, Um, (laughs) so, and I was surprised to see no one had done that in McSweeney's yet I kind of thought it would have been covered already but it hadn't so I was like well that's my cue so
2: that's the best idea when you can't find evidence that it's been done yeah
0: I know and you're always like but it's so obvious why wouldn't you have an open letter (laughs) to these cartoon dogs like why hasn't someone jumped (laughs) onto that already
2: (laughs) do you do you talk to Leslie about and I don't, I don't know to the extent, the extent to which you you diversify your writing work beyond like all we've talked about is picture books mm-hmm. and McSweeney's thus far but is that a conversation you have with Leslie yeah. um around like I'm gonna be I'm gonna place myself here mm-hmm. there's nothing she does to support you in that but maybe it's sort of like a thought partner I suppose
0: yeah I think like many authors I know we we tend to do like at least an annual like goal setting, where you at kind of conversation. Leslie's really great about communication of like, we'll communicate as much and however you need. Um, I tend to, you know, it's hard for me to get on Zoom. I'm really shocked my kids have not rushed into here on this situation yet. So for me, like, it's more like me being like, I communicate better by email. Um, But she, in the past couple of years, we have done like a goal setting Zoom um, and talked, because I've had a lot of different, like, you know, I think, my career could go here, or I'm interested in this, or, like, I, I feel like I need a new challenge. And I, I did feel that way for a while about picture books, that I was like, I don't want to just keep finding, like, a science concept to, like, write about. Like, that doesn't feel interesting to me at this point. And um, I think I've gotten back to being interested in it. But she's very, like, um, she's very open to me, like, trying different things and seeing where I need to go. Um, to And also talking about, like, okay, so... Uh, How, how, how hard do we want to push this manuscript or that manuscript or what's in going to be a good next step for you and all of that kind of stuff. So we definitely do that goal setting and it gives her an idea of what to expect from me and what I'm expecting. I would, it just communication is better. I was telling Brenna, um, so actually I was, I wanted to write a picture book around the concept of play, um, for kids and um, I happen to know, and I believe you know as well, uh, a play expert, Ginny Gorbach. And so I was, I was telling Leslie, "Hey, Jenny, we love you, Jenny." I was telling Leslie, like, <laughs> I, I want to write a book about play, and I want to write it with this other person. Um, you know, so I wanted to give her a heads up that I wanted to do a co-authorship. And she's like, "That's great. Um, love that idea." Um, and Jenny, is she has queried Leslie and she, Leslie remembered her and she's like, she's a fantastic writer. I love her work. So yeah, go for it. Um, but why don't, why don't you think about writing it as a parenting book rather than a picture book? Like you have the expertise there. It sounds like your goals are more around parent reaching parents and helping them with play rather than an actual picture book. And she's like, I'm open to however it works, but like, just, just think about it. Like, could this be a parenting book? Um, and at first I was like, I couldn't write a parenting book. And then we, Ginny and I talked about it and thought about it. I'm like, maybe we can. So now we're working on a proposal and some sample chapters around a play-based parenting book. Um, and so I, I guess that's just an example where Leslie kind of just like thinks about where else my career might want to go or what else might be interesting to me. So it's it's very helpful.
2: Don't limit yourself kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Yeah, which yeah, is interesting that's from,
1: awesome.
2: from the perspective that um, L- Leslie, as someone who, I mean, to put it in crass business terms, m- makes money off of your work, like that's the business that right. she's in, is not is not going to take um, is, is not going to take the, the the shortest path to success necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, to the point that we talked about early in the conversation around. Publishers are in the business of making money off of books mm-hmm. and leveraging artwork to 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 generate revenue. Doesn't mean that they want to, you know, just cash in. They want to make good artwork as well. The same thing is true for agents. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not in it to to just cash in on your quick parenting play yeah. book and make that into a picture book. She's going to uh, do the best she can to mold it into something. Yeah. Um, I think something something of... bigger, which is you know. Kudos to Leslie.
0: I think, I mean, there's a dark side. I mean, it sounds great. I think a lot of industry professionals are driven by passion for books, which sounds great. There is like a lot of downsides to that and that they're underpaid and overworked in it. Because of that, a lot of people are systematically like excluded from the industry. So, you know, there's a lot of downsides to a passion driven industry, but I do think mm-hmm. most editors and agents are not in this Simply, you know, from a monetary point of view, because I'm not sure the payoff is there, especially in kitlets or air picture books. They are like driven by that. They love this. Um, and so there are pros and cons to that um, for sure. But yeah. I, one of the pros is that I've met a lot of like passionate, amazing people who really care about books and art. And that's really cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Kate, we are edging up towards the hour. Do you want to share your dead manuscript? Sure. Yeah, I had kind
0: of forgotten are about Are you that. ready? I am so excited.
2: I want to believe it's one of the ones that Leslie saw originally. <laughs> no, I wouldn't read that to you. And yep. was very kind about Absolutely it. No, not. it's not. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> I trust you, but your listeners, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so this,
0: okay. this one... Um i like the writing i think it's not interesting enough of a concept so anyway i will read it okay um (laughs) this is called nature in you it's about nature in in the human body between towering skyscrapers and tight packed homes nature dwells not only in ants and arachnids wildflowers and weeds but in you Your body, born of the wild universe, travels a tamed world. Nature is your feet, splashing in rain-drenched puddles and sun-stained surf. Nature is your knees, tucked tight, cannonballing into a cool, sparkling pool. Splash! Nature is your legs, pumping, running wild through tall, tickling grasses. Nature is your fingertips, curled around your walking stick, drawing pictures in the dirt. Nature is your arms spread wide like wings, wibble wobble, fall. Nature is your cans, cocooned in mittens, shaping snow into balls, whap. Nature is your lungs, pulling in fresh, sweet air to nourish and power you. Nature is your ears, listening for echoes and hand-painted tunnels. Hello, hello, hello. Nature is your nose, breathing in the aroma of split open orange plucked from a backyard tree. Nature is your lips whispering a wish, whooshing dandelion seas across a wild, empty lot. Nature is your brain rearranging clouds into shapes, creating meaning for you alone. Nature is everything you feel, sadness when it is heavy, joy in the freedom of afternoon, love for the person who knows just when to be silent as you listen for crickets chirping and watch fireflies fill the air. Nature is your hair messy from a bone-tired day of playing, of building, of doing, of being, ready for the restful night, because nature pulses through your veins, moving your muscles, kicking your toes, it lingers in every word, sigh, silence, every blink and flutter of your eyelids, every space between heartbeats and breath, and in every deep and wondrous slumber, lost in dreams of adventures ahead. Oh my gosh.
1: I that, feel so
2: peaceful right now.
1: I know. I okay, I have two takeaways. One, that was beautiful and I have a very hard time believing you don't have a novel in verse in you because I feel like I feel like definitely you do. And two, that gives me uh Rajani LaRocca vibes and her book, um Ah oh shoot, what's it called? About the DNA it's and the it's DNA, written yeah. like all lyric. Well, that's a high compliment. Yes.
0: <laughs> the Newberry Medalist yes but thank that, you <laughs> that
1: book is that book is also I mean that book is incredible
0: she's amazing though she's like a doctor or like she's she's everything everything she
1: is and I don't yeah I don't even know but yeah, she, she I mean yeah that book also lyrical and sciency and like so well done so I mean yeah. wow if that's your dad names with Kate she, and, like, like, I mean So impressed. She structured
0: the book to like mirror the double helix. Like her brain's on another level. But yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes.
2: That's the Rajni layer.
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. The
1: Rajni layer. The Kate Kate
2: layer that was just for Kate.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, thank you for sharing that with us because I know, you know uh sharing a dead manuscript with a whole society of you know people listening i'm just calling you guys the dead manuscript society because you're (laughs) listening um -hmm. right but i mean i know that can feel like you know really vulnerable and sort of like you know like a lot to put it out there so i appreciate anybody who who humors us and does it and that was that was awesome thank you for sharing thank you for asking Yeah, for sure
0: and thank you for having me it's been so fun
1: Yeah, this has been, this has been super fun. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on. And I'm so excited to get this out in time for your book launch. Yeah, and we're giving away a book, aren't we? Because, yes, oh, that's right. Yes, we are. So I think we should do it on threads because Josh and I both have sort of made that jump. I don't know if, I know you're on threads. Yeah,
0: I feel like people are there, which is good. I kind of thought it would be like walking into an empty, you know, middle school dance yeah, you know, just like balloons floating
1: across the <laughs> linoleum <laughs> the floor, but they're people, so that's cool. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Um, it's like yeah, a ha- so. I th- think that's
2: I feel where like we'll put it up is is having one of those moments where uh, somehow we all tap into our sense of awkward community mm-hmm. at a party, and like it's one of those moments where it just gets real quiet for a second, and then we all re- <laughs> recognize we can we can keep talking and hanging out, and like it's no big no big deal. So anyway so. yeah. that's where we are I'm done with X I'm done with Twitter Yeah, that's
0: a mess.
2: come see us and get a book over there
1: <laughs> yeah right come see us on threads follow us follow Kate yup and we'll do a we'll do a book giveaway over there thanks for listening this week
2: find all of our episodes and other associated links and information at linktree.com slash verse show
0: or reach out to us on Twitter thanks again and we'll see you next verse
1: bye